If you have your Bible with you today, and I hope you do, please turn to the New Testament book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1 is where we find ourselves today. We're going to be looking at verses 22 through 25 this morning, which records for us the second response that we ought to have in light of our salvation. If you recall, Peter has been writing this letter to elect exiles to followers of Jesus Christ who were beginning to experience some intense persecution in the area of modern-day Turkey and beyond. And in this first chapter, Peter has encouraged them to remember the greatness of their salvation, to remember the all, all that God has done and is doing and one day will do for them in Christ Jesus And to let those glorious truths of the gospel, the good news that we profess, let it change their lives. Let it be a source of daily encouragement, joy, and motivation in the midst, even, of life's difficulties and hardships. This, by the way, is what that expression, if you've heard it before, preach the gospel to yourself every day, that's what this is all about. It means to face every day as Ephesians 4 commands us, within the armor of God, wearing on your head the helmet of what? Salvation, right? It means to go throughout your day behind a shield of faith, constantly saying to yourself in the midst of your circumstances, I may be rejected by this world. I may be poor and despised by this world. I may be weak and helpless in myself. But in Jesus, I am chosen by God. I am born again to an undying hope, an indescribable inheritance, and an unlosable salvation. I am equipped with a supernatural faith, hope, and love, and joy joy that by God's grace will bear me up, carry me through, and overcome any trial or difficulty that God might have in store for me today. Because I'm a child of God, I am born again. That's what Peter has been encouraging us to do. Preach the gospel to yourself each and every day. Remember who you are in Christ Jesus and who is for you. Remember the wondrous work of your salvation, and as we saw last week, remember the precious person of your redemption. Remember, as we saw last week, that you have been ransomed, you have been redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or without spot. And we explored that last week of how he is that person of infinite value and worth. Remember these glorious truths, believer. And then in light of that breathtaking salvation, respond properly to it. How? Well, the book of 1 Peter outlines for us six entire ways that we are to respond properly to our salvation. We looked at the first way back in verses 13 through 19, which was responding rightly to God in light of our salvation. And that was by living a life of reverence, righteousness, and readiness. I'm to worship God in light of the wondrous work and precious person of my redemption. But the second way that we are to respond properly to our salvation is found in verses 22 through 25, which is what we'll begin to look at this morning. And that proper response to our salvation in Christ Jesus is this. We ought to love one another. We ought to love one another. If we desire as elect exiles to respond properly to our salvation, then we must understand that our brothers and sisters in Christ are not obstacles to us on our way to our eternal home. They are fellow pilgrims with us that must encourage us and we must encourage them as we take this journey to heaven. We must not only live a life of worship to God, we must also live a life of love towards each other. This is what God desires. 
This is what God expects. This is what God commands. If you want to worship God for the great things that He has done for you in Christ, then live a life of worship towards God and live a life of love towards one another. Live a life of worship towards God. Live a life of love towards each other. That's what we're going to see this morning as we read 1 Peter First Peter chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. So let's read that together this morning. Let's read 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 on into verse 25. The Apostle Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes these words to us today. Verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, For a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly out of a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seeds, not of a perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all of its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. This is the word of God whose commandments are our delight even when trouble and anguish find us out. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word this morning. We thank you for what it teaches us. And Father, we thank you that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And it shows us not only who we are and who you are, but it shows us even how we ought to respond to these truths. Father, we thank you that in Christ Jesus, by your grace, mercy, and power, we have been born again. We have been made elect exiles rejected by the world and yet chosen by you though we don't deserve it chosen by you for salvation and eternal life and father we thank you that this world is not our home but we are just passing through and we are looking for that city whose founder and builder is god And Father, help us to understand how we ought to live our lives in light of you and with, and with each other as we take this journey. Father, I pray that we would not forget the most fundamental way we are to respond in worship towards you horizontally with each other, and that is to love one another. Remind us, Father, of how much you have loved us in Christ Jesus. And because you have loved us, we also ought to love one another. Teach us, Father, we pray by your Spirit this morning, through your Word, for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now here in this passage, Peter tells us that one of the most fundamental ways that we can respond to our salvation for the glory of God is by loving one another. And to show you just how central this command is, I'd just like to read a few passages to you for a moment to introduce this idea. First, in John 13, 34, Jesus takes his 11 remaining disciples aside and he tells them the night before his death, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. 
Here Jesus commands us that we as his followers are to love one another. We are to love each other as followers of Jesus with the very same type of love with which Christ loved us. Why? Because quite simply, first, he has loved us. And then second, because he has loved them. Right? Therefore, in light of Christ's love for us, we are to love each other also. We are to love with a special love those whom Christ has loved with a special love. This is a proper response to our salvation. Love one another. And this, this idea, this thread of doctrine is found throughout the pages of the New Testament. Here's just two examples for you. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 11, John writes, which we looked at this morning, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. In other words, if you've experienced the love of God for yourself, then you ought to love those whom God loves. And then verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. In other words, this is the proper response to your salvation. Love one another. And then finally, even in Romans 12, where Paul most famously applies the gospel by saying, hey, you ought to live a life of sacrifice and worship, right? He says, he says you ought to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Paul immediately expands on that application. He doesn't say, hey, I'd like you to imagine in your own mind what it looks like to, to live a life of sacrifice to the Lord. No, no, he immediately expands on that call in verses 3 through 8 by drawing our attention, shocker, to the local church. And then he concludes his commands of how we ought to respond in worship to God through the local church by saying in verses 9 through 10, let your love be genuine. Love one another with a brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. In other words, what we're doing right here is the fundamental earthly way that you show the world that you are worshiping and loving God. It is in the context of a local church by loving each other. This is the proper response to our salvation. This is what a life of worship looks like. This is what a living sacrifice looks like at a horizontal level. It looks like a believer that is devoting themselves to biblically love the other believers that God has providentially put around them in a local church. This is the proper response to our salvation. Live a life of love towards one another. As fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, fellow exiles on our heavenly journey, love one another. Well, this biblical doctrine of loving one another is going to be amplified and expanded upon by the passage that we're about to study this morning. Here in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 through 25, Peter is not only going to tell us that we ought to love one another, but he is also going to show us how we ought to love one another and what exactly that type of love looks like when it's actually being carried out. So let's begin by looking at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, where we see first the prerequisite for loving one another. It's in verse 22, the beginning of verse 22. What's interesting here, what's interesting to note here is that before God even gives us the instruction to love one another, he gives us the underlying assumption, and this is important, That is the prerequisite needed, the prerequisite required before any true obedience can happen and any true love can ever be shown. Peter writes in verse 22, and this is as far as we're going to make it today because this is very, very, very important for us to understand in our culture today. Peter writes this in verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. So that's the prerequisite, right? The only way anyone can ever actively demonstrate a sincere brotherly love towards other followers of Christ is if their own soul first 
Peter says, God says here, is made pure by their obedience to the truth. This is so important for us to remember. See, there are, there are so many individuals today calling out for Christian love and unity, to which I say yes and amen, hallelujah. However, the path that they are saying that love and unity is arrived at is, they say, by ignoring, by minimizing, or even forsaking the truth of what God has said in Scripture. Listen, that is the opposite of what the Bible teaches us here, both here and in John 17 in Jesus' prayer and everywhere else. If you Listen to this. If you want a body of believers who sincerely love each other with, a love, with the love of Christ, then you must first have a body of believers who are actively submitting their hearts, their souls, their minds, and their lives to the purifying authority of the Word of Christ. There is a prerequisite that leads to biblical love. So if you want sincere brotherly love to grow and continue, then that's not found by casting down the banner of truth. That is found by raising it up and calling all men everywhere to gather to it. Because, contrary to what you hear in the world today, it is lies that divide and stir up hatred. It is the truth that unites and that fosters love. You have to be about the truth if you want love to exist. By the way, this is not rocket science. This is what we as parents teach our kids, I hope, right? Oh son, do not lie to me. Why? Because when you lie to me, I cannot trust that what you're telling me is the truth and it breaks down our relationship. The truth is what enables love to continue. And so as we seek to grow in our Christ-like love here at Grace Chapel, that will happen not as we slide past the truth, but as we diligently study it. As we diligently study not solely what people say, by the way, about the Bible, but what the Bible actually says directly when we study it for ourselves. The way to arrive at a sincere brotherly love is only by continually having our souls purified by an obedience to the truth. God is explicitly clear on this. So let's see this play out in this passage. Peter says that before you and I can love one another sincerely, we must first have our souls, that is our inner person, our inner spiritual and moral being, the real you, I guess you could say. You have to have your real you purified. That is made clean. Made clean. And Scripture is clear that the only way that your soul can be made clean is if the Lamb of God takes away your sins. The only way that your soul can be made pure is, as verse 19 says, the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or without spot. If You, you, you must have the righteous, righteousness of Jesus Christ applied to you if you are to be made perfectly pure and acceptable in the sight of God. So how do you do that? How do you have your soul purified? Peter tells us next, you purify your soul by what? By your obedience to the truth. You purify your soul by simply obeying what God has said. Obeying what God has said. By ceasing to walk in disobedience and by starting to walk in obedience. Right? Peter, by the way, has already introduced this concept for us all the way back into verse 2 of 1 Peter chapter 1. If you recall, Peter said that we are elect exiles. How? according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, and then listen to this, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. 
So how can you be sprinkled with his blood? How can you be sanctified by the Spirit? How can you be made pure before God? Answer, by obeying the truth. By obeying Jesus Christ. And what has Jesus said? What did he preach? Mark 11.15, repent of your sins and believe the gospel. That is what Jesus taught. See, some people are bothered by this verse because it doesn't explicitly mention the word faith. And I want to explain that because, listen, Peter doesn't need to mention faith here in this verse because he actually goes one step further and he describes faith in detail. The only type of saving faith that exists, which is faith that obeys. Think about it. Peter says that you must purify your soul by obedience to the truth. That is the essence of saving faith, is it not? The very moment of your salvation, what happens? You hear the truth, and what do you do? You turn from your sins, and you submit to the truth that you have just heard. Those are, the only, those are always the two essential elements of saving faith, turning from sin and submitting to the truth. And so what Peter is really getting at the heart of here is what it means to truly believe. Faith is not just a mental assent to truth claims. Faith is an active submission. It is an active obedience to God's Word. In saving faith, we are moved by God to obey Jesus Christ who commands all people everywhere to repent of their sins and follow Him. Saving faith obeys that call. So how do you have your soul purified? This is the most important question you need to ask yourself. How do you have your soul purified so that you can stand before God righteous and acceptable in His sight? How do you have your soul purified? How do you have the righteousness of Jesus Christ applied to your life? Answer, you obey the truth. First, you agree with God that you are a sinner that is deserving eternal condemnation, just as Romans 6.23 teaches. You have to agree with God. Second, you need to believe God's promise that whoever believes in Jesus Christ the Son will not perish but have eternal life, just as John 3.16 teaches. And then you need to confess to God that you are a sinner, that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, and that you're relying on His power, His righteousness, and His sacrifice alone to save you from your sin and hell. In other words, you have your soul purified by your obedience to the truth. You respond to it by agreeing, believing, confessing. And by the way, all of that, that conviction, that belief, that obedience, that faith, it's not something that you or I produce. It's something that God imparts to the sinner's heart. That's why over in Acts 15, verse 9, our very same author, Peter, says there that it is God who cleanses our heart by faith. The reason why it sounds like it's something that we do here is quite simply because through sal- though salvation is always the work of God, it is never performed apart from the will of and desire of the sinner. To put it simply, no one has ever been saved against their will. Instead, the Spirit works on and through the sinner to transform their will to give them the desire for purity, to give them the desire to obey the truth. Right? Our eyes are opened miraculously. Behold the glory of Christ. And notice, when a human soul is saved and redeemed and purified and made obedient to the truth by God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus, they are given in that very moment a purpose for living. And that purpose is to demonstrate on a daily basis sincere brotherly love. Right? So when you wake up in the morning, you ought to have two things. Why am I still alive today? Right? Why did this morning come? Two reasons. So you might worship God and you might love each other. 
That's what Peter says. He says, our souls have been purified by obedience to the truth for this express purpose, for a sincere brotherly love. See, before we were drawn to Christ, our soul was filled with the dirt of selfish ambition and pride. Our soul was filled with the dirt of deceitful flattery and hypocrisy, the dirt of self-confidence and self-love, the dirt of bitterness and unforgiveness. It is what characterized our life and our responses to people. All of those things, in short, before we were drawn to Christ, our soul was filled with the obstacles of pride and our own self-ego. But then Jesus came, if you're truly saved, and he's begun to cleanse our heart of all that filthy stuff. He's begun to purge our souls of all that selfishness and sin so that our love for the brother and our love for one another might grow. This is one of the main reasons why you're saved and why your soul has been purified through faith in Christ Jesus. It is so that you might demonstrate towards the rest of the people, listen to this, in this very room, a sincere brotherly love towards them. You say, well, why? Why is it so important to God, that we show love to one another. Why is this such a big deal? Why do we see it throughout the scriptures and why does Peter land on it here as one of the main responses? Why is that? Why is it so important to God that we show love to one another? There are two reasons why. Please listen to this. First, our love for one another demonstrates that we belong to Jesus. And second, our love for one another actually demonstrates that Jesus belongs to God. That's pretty weighty when you think about it. See, there is way more at stake in this command to love one another than just being able to get along and not have too many anxieties in our life, right? There is something way more at stake here in this command to love one another than simply our own feelings or our own sense of belonging or our own sense of self-worth, right? No, what's at at stake here is nothing less, ladies and gentlemen, than the salvation of the lost and the glory of Christ in this world. First, the salvation of the lost is directly associated with us loving each other. Jesus says in John 13, 35, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have what? Love for one another. Love for one another. Notice, Jesus, and this is very important, listen to this, Jesus does not say the world will know that you belong to Jesus by, based on how much you love them. It's not what Jesus said there. Now, obviously, when we demonstrate the love of Christ, people see that, right? But that's not Jesus' point, right? He says the world will know that you belong to Jesus based on how you live us, love us, the church, one another. That's what our unbelieving friends and family members, it's when they see that, that they will, by God's grace, be attracted to the claims of Christ because they'll see the sincere love that only Jesus can produce. Brothers and sisters, can I just tell you, the unbelieving world is longing to find a community of sincere brotherly love. You hear it every day. It's the most attractive thing for them. For an example, I used to listen to a podcast that involved five people getting together and telling interactive stories. And it was just a positive, upbeat show that created quite an online community where people were helping each other through mental issues and and other struggles. And at the end of the podcast... Uh, As everyone was saying goodbye, the host would usually say this phrase, and it really stood out to me. He said, take care of each other now. And you could tell people were following that podcast as much as for the community around it as the actual show of what was going on. Why? 
is because they thought that in that they had found a place of sincere brotherly love. That is, until rumors started flying about affairs and adultery, and overnight, rather than care for each other, everyone turned on each other. And even though the rumor wasn't true, it turned out that all that brotherly love wasn't all that sincere. And some people following the show were devastated, and I, as a Christian, watching it from the outside, took note. They were longing to find a place where people had sincere brotherly love for each other, a love that could not be shaken, but they didn't find it. And you know why? Because the only people who can ever show that type of steadfast, sincere, genuine, undying love are people who have had their souls purified by obedience to the truth and have received the sure, steadfast, unshakable love of Christ. The on, listen, the only hope the world has of ever finding such a sincere community of brotherly love is right here among the followers of Jesus when we obey the command of Jesus and earnestly love one another with a sincere brotherly love. And if they would but, by God's grace, turn from their sins and trust in Jesus and experience His love for themselves, they would be a part of this loving community as well. So the salvation of the lost is directly associated with whether we love each other. This is not a small command. And second, I want you to recognize this morning that the glory of Christ is directly associated with whether we love each other sincerely as well. Jesus prays in John 17, 23, he says this, I pray that they, meaning believers, may be one, even as we are one. And Jesus has already demonstrated earlier in that chapter that the path to that oneness, just as Peter has already stated, is by obedience to the truth for the cultivation of love. Right? And then Jesus prays this in John 17, 23, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. Why? For what purpose? So that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. That's quite a truth. When we love one another as Christ commands, it not only shows the world that we belong to Jesus, it also shows the world that Jesus belongs to God. To put it another way, the world comes to know that Jesus is indeed the one whom we state he is. That he is the one sent from God because the love that Jesus gives to us could only come from God. It is an alien, otherworldly love. This is what is riding on this commandment to love one another. The only way the world will see that God loves us and that God loves Christ is if we love one another. That is why Scripture is so insistent that we earnestly love one another with a sincere brotherly love because nothing less than salvation of the lost and the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ is at stake. That helps put everything else that Scripture commands in great perspective, doesn't it? Right? He doesn't command hospitality, right? God, Scripture doesn't say, hey, you know what? Believers, be hospitable to each other just because it's really cool to open up your homes, right? It's a cool thing to do, right? No. And he doesn't say, hey, you should forgive one another just because, you know, we should be forgiving people. He grounds it in these truths that if the world is ever to know that we belong to Jesus and that Jesus belongs to God as if we demonstrate this type of biblical love, Nothing less than salvation of the lost and the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ is at stake. I think that's why the Apostle John summarizes it all in 1 John 3.23 with these words. And this is his commandment. 
Pay attention. Lots of things are getting summarized here. This is God's commandment. That we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another in the way that He has commanded us. Keep on believing. Keep on depending. Keep on relying on Jesus Christ and all that He is. And keep on loving one another sincerely and all that that means. Because nothing less than the salvation of the lost and the glory of Jesus here on earth is at stake. We'll have to look at the rest of the passage next week, but for this morning, here's a question that this passage is directly asking each and every one of us today, because sometimes it's just good to slow down and think about what God is saying. First, how are you doing in demonstrating a sincere brotherly love? So you say, I think I'm doing pretty good. Okay, let me ask that a different way. How are you doing in demonstrating a sincere brotherly love starting with the people in this room? Right? Are you demonstrating that your heart has been made pure by your, your obedience to the truth? Or are you demonstrating selfish ambition, pride, deceitful flattery, hypocrisy, self-confidence, self-love, bitterness, unforgiveness, pride, egotism, the very works of the devil that Christ came to destroy? If God has pricked your heart this morning and you're thinking, ouch, wow, there's been way too much selfishness and way too little love in my dealings of late with the family of Christ or with this individual in particular, I want you to know that there are only two possible reasons. Because we need to hold up Scripture like a mirror and behold ourselves. First, the reason why that might exist is because there might be an absence of salvation in your life. It really might be. Because faith is more than just a mental assent to the truth. It is a heart's submission to it. You might not have any sincere love to show believers around you because you haven't experienced the love of Christ yourself. You can't give to others what you yourself haven't experienced for yourself. You can't sincerely forgive others when they wrong you until you have experienced what it's like to be forgiven by a God when you wronged Him your whole life, right? You can't genuinely serve others like they're better than yourself until you have genuinely experienced for yourself what it's like to be served like that by God Himself in Christ, who took upon the form of a servant. And you can't earnestly love one another selfishly and one-sidedly until you yourself have experienced what it's like to be loved like that by God. Could it be that your struggle, if you recognize this is a struggle you have, could it be that your struggle to show love, and it could even be that you're distancing from the other followers of Christ? I love Jesus, I don't want to have anything to do with the church though. Could it be that that distancing of yourself from followers of Christ around you is reflecting an absence of the saving life of Christ within you? For make no mistake, a life that seeks to avoid and live apart from the loving influence of other believers is not a redeemed life. I would encourage you to examine yourself if these things ring true to you. And if it is, then God's word is clear. It's time to purify your heart by an obedience to the truth. Agree with God that you are a sinner. Believe that Christ alone can save you from your sins. And confess to God your sinful state and your dependence on Jesus for salvation and forgiveness. Purify your heart by obedience to the truth. 
for sincere brotherly love. For this might be the first reason why there's an absence of Christ-like love and service in your life. There might be an absence of salvation in your life. And you need to examine yourself. Second, there might be an absence of sanctification in your life. That's the second option. See, obedience to the truth leads to sincere brotherly love, but not only at the beginning of salvation, it leads to that all the way through, right? As a believer, the only way that you can walk in brotherly love is if you are walking in obedience to the truth. And conversely, if you recognize, even as a believer, that brotherly love is dying on the outside of your life with different personalities and relationships, obedience to the truth has been dying on the inside of your life for a long, long time. You've been letting wrong thoughts, wrong beliefs, wrong emotions to fester there way too long. So what needs to happen? You need to go back to what you did at first. You need to purify your heart by obedience to the truth. As 1 John 1, 7 says this, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, that's where we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sins. So notice that fellowship, that sincere brotherly love comes when we walk in the light, when we stop hiding away in our own sins and instead we strive to walk side by side in obedience to the truth. That's where fellowship happens. So dear brother or sister in Christ, I don't, by the way, I'm not poking this. This is exegetical teaching, right? I'm not knowing of any awareness. But, hey, it probably means something's happening here, right? If there is a disruption in any one of your lives that's happening between you and another believer, you need to go back to the Scriptures and you need to go back to the truth and let your soul be purified for sincere brotherly love with that individual. Read passages. I want you to write these down, okay? You need this in your marriage, in your parenting, and in your church life. Ephesians 4, 24 through 32. Read passages like Ephesians 4, 24 through 32. Or, or in addition, Colossians 3, 5 through 17. Colossians 3, 5 through 17. Read passages like that where biblical, sincere love is actually described. And let your soul be purified by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. See if there is any place where you are neglecting to obey the word of God and neglecting to obey the truth in your relationship with that individual that's being disrupted. And then you need to make that right. You need to actively obey the word of truth so that you can show sincere brotherly love to a watching world for the glory and honor of Jesus. Purify your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. That's your goal. That's your mission. Souls depend on it. The reputation of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, depends on it. Love one another. We'll look at the rest of the passage next week, but for now, this is the word of God from 1 Peter 1.22, which I now commit to your further study and your faithful obedience as we take care of each other now until he returns. To that end, let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word And Father, I pray in two directions. Father, you have worked in our church to create here in our body a sincere brotherly love. And we want to praise you for that and thank you for that and honor you for that. The love of Christ is seen here among each other. 
Father, help us not to forget what has brought this church to this point. Father, I thank you for the faithful men and women that have taught your truth over generations. We thank you that through obedience to the truth, hearts and souls have been purified so that we can show a Christ-like love to each other. Father, we thank you for this. Help us not to forget it. But Father, we also pray that you wouldn't help us to forget the other side of the equation. That it is good to know the truth. And it is good to study it. But the purpose for that, the purpose of knowing the truth, the purpose of knowing you and of Christ Jesus and his glory is so that one, we might worship you. And so that two, we would love one another. So help us, Father, to recognize that even this truth that we study, that we read, that we long to know more of is one so that we might know how to worship you better and two, so that we might know how to love each other better for your honor and glory. Help us as a church do that. Help us as individual believers do that for the salvation of the lost that are around us, that is looking for a sincere brotherly love, and for the honor of Jesus Christ, whose love has been shed abroad upon us through his death on the cross and resurrection. Father, help us to show the glory of Jesus in the way that we love each other this week. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.